0: So welcome to Clubhouse, Ambassador's Corner. My name is Joy Livingston, and I'm standing in for Stevie Kim, who is in Tuscany. She's on her way back, but the internet is a bit spotty, so I'm just stepping in for today. Today we have Pierluca um, Proietti of Abbianova, who will be interviewed by Ashley Howell. Ashley, are you there? Good morning, or good evening, I'm here. Wonderful, nice to, nice to hear your voice. Likewise, Joy. Um, So before we, before I, I'm just going to give you a quick intro. I was going to, before we start, I just wanted to uh, talk about the show. This is the 31st show that we've done for the Ambassadors Corner. It's been super popular every single one has been re- replayed on the podcast the Italian wine podcast and it does really really well because I'm sure you've heard Stevie say a bunch of times that you know clubhouse has sort of waned in popularity after the uh, the pandemic sort of has been getting better and but when we put put it on the podcast it gets amazing listens and so it's also great because people who can't tune in in this uh, time can listen to it whenever they like, uh, which is wonderful all over the world. So it's for, you know, via community members, it's for Italian wine lovers, it's for pretty much everyone who is interested in wine, because this is a really interesting way to get people together from all parts of the world and talk about talk about wine so Ashley is going to be introducing she will introduce Pierluca but I'm just going to quickly introduce Ashley she is from Vancouver she's uh she's been doing many things she's been in many roles in wine in the wine trade over the past 10 years uh, she's been a sommelier to a consultant to a buyer she holds w set qualification french and italian wine scholar certifications and is of an italy international academy italian wine ambassador that's actually where i i first met you and after spending half of 2019 in italy fully submerged in the culture, the vineyards the language, the wine, the way of life. She returned to Vancouver to share the best kept secret amongst Italy's highest quality niche producers. So I actually I what I did not know that you had returned to Vancouver. Uh, you're also, uh, before I, I, I start talking to you, you're a freelance writer. And, you know, you've done a lot of, you know, you're always looking to travel and, and discover new wines. Actually, I thought you were still in Italy. I did not realize that you had returned to Vancouver. How how was your, your time?
1: Oh, it was amazing. Um, but I've been kind of going back and forth whenever COVID doesn't get in my way. So that might be why you didn't think I came back, because as soon as yeah, I come but- back, I'd be gone again. <laughs>
0: I I just recall before you left, you were, you know, we were talking and you were, you were, you know, trying to get organized and everything. And it was, it was, yeah, I'm glad that you actually did it in the end. And I knew that you had, but I thought you were still here. How are, how are things
1: uh, otherwise? No, things are great. Um, with COVID, this past couple of months, business has been a little bit slow, but restrictions were just lifted last week, so things are looking really good. From this weekend up until end of March, when I leave to come back to Italy, I have over forty tasting events and meetings, so I'll be really busy. Wow,
0: that's a lot. Well, I, I hope that um, I hope we'll see each other when you get here. Before I, I hand you over to to Pierluca, I wanted to just uh, ask you, uh, you know, because of course we we want to know what education... Educational value we're going to get from from this this meeting. So tell us why you selected Pierluca Proietti as your favorite producer.
1: It was really hard trying to decide which producer to select because I respect and I love so many, um, and especially all of my suppliers. Um, I have that kind of relationship with. But this past November, finally getting to meet Pierluca and Daniele and Barbara of a Bianova experience was just one of the best ones I've ever had um, with any winery, not even my anyone that I work with. So I definitely wanted to choose him. I wanted his story to get out. He is such an interesting gentleman. He's like one of those special individuals that you rarely get the opportunity to cross paths with. Yeah, he's talented, he's dedicated, and he has the biggest heart. Um I always learned so much from him both in our Zoom calls and in person. And his wines have a Bionova really speak for themselves. They have poise, they have flair, they're authentic, and his his project and his wines and his way of farming and living really became a place that my heart like resides with. Um, like even when I first met him, he drove to my exit to meet me in Anjani. I had driven from Verona all the way to Pedio, and it was really late. It was 2am and he even drove home to get me a cup so I could have tea before bed. So, um, I think that really speaks for the type of person that he is. Wow. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty nice. That's awesome. As far as, um, learning objectives, go ahead. I mean, I really hope that the audience becomes enlightened and informed and a little bit more curious about what's going on in Lazio because I feel like sometimes that area gets overlooked and yeah, like his, his way of doing farming, like the art of doing nothing is really interesting and it will kind of leave you like stripped of your path, preconceived understandings of, you know, what it really means to be working in harmony with nature.
0: Cool. And, and what, um, so how did you, you know, how did you discover the wines of uh, Abia Like, when did you first taste them and
1: say, wow, this is really great. I want to go there. You know, my discovery of them was completely unexpected and very much by chance. I was first contacted by them on Instagram um, in late 2020, and I was just in the early stages of my importing business, so all my palettes were still on the way. I wasn't really looking to expand or grow when I hadn't even sold anything yet. And I've always loved Chazanese and been so curious about it because what's available in my market is pretty null. There's only one bottle and it's not anything exciting. And then when I spoke to them and I got to learn what they were doing with their Fuquoa method and biodynamic-based raw wines, I couldn't say no to a case of samples. I was so curious. Um, And I, I instantly fell in love with them. I couldn't say no. And that's kind of how it started
0: great okay well i'm looking forward to hearing this um this interview uh pierre luca are you there
2: hi everyone i'm here hi good afternoon to everyone
0: good afternoon so i'm gonna i'm gonna hand you over here to ashley and at the end um there there may not be time for questions uh depending on how long this goes because we typically like to close the room after about an hour and uh Yeah, until then, Ashley, take it away. Thanks, Joy.
1: Ciao, Perluca. How are you? Ciao, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Um, For most of the audience, you probably um, know Perluca as one of the owners of a Bia Nova. He also works with his cousin, Daniele, Mm -hmm. and they work with this fabulous woman named Barbara. Um, But he's got quite an interesting past. Perluca kind of started out as an agricultural entrepreneur. Um, and he's worked for many different research centers and companies um, throughout Italy, um, and later on developing commercial strategies for farms and wineries. Um, He also teaches, and Perel has worked for the Professorship of History of Science in Rome's university, La Sapienza, and has worked for the Italian Encyclopedic Institute. Um, But today he deals mainly with the viticultural management of the family winery, Abia Nova, So I'm going to start off with my first question for Pierluca, just to kind of get everyone familiar with what's going on with the Nova. So can you share with us the history of your winery through to the evolution of today?
2: Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, History is a little bit complex because, um, as you said, I started and then I was, you know, in the. In the in university, in studying history of science, at the same time, from the early '80s, my father uh, started this hobby of buying old vineyards in pio and also planting new vineyards. So I was involved as you know, a weekend hobby in uh, viticulture until the early '80s. I was six years old when I planted with my father my first vineyard. But then, when I studied philosophy and history of science at the same time, um, I used to I used to um, work more and more in agriculture with my father, and he was so fascinated by the new movement of the biological agriculture, and I'm talking about the late eighties. And at the same time. My cousin started his degree in winemaking and enology in Parma. And we talk about a lot of times of start making wines, but we just wanted to focus on different kinds of viticulture that we could do in our places. Uh, we did a lot of courses on natural agriculture, method, biodynamic agriculture in the 90s. And First year between 2000 and 2000, 2005. And after his degree, my cousin came back in Pigo and started as a director of the social cellar, the country winery that we have in our town. And this was the beginning of our history because he has he had there a lot of bets of different materials to do a lot of experiments from different crews. That time we yet have in our in our company. Uh, I'm talking about 2005. So, so I'm talking about the year the years between 2005 and 2009. We, me and my cousin, did a lot of experiments into the social seller. That where my cousin was the director. Different kind of fermentations, uh, um, double fermentations. Uh, We we tried on one hand to respect the tradition at the same time to do new things with our wine grapes. And, you know, we cultivated traditional wine grapes from Lazio, Cesanese and Passerina, And we didn't have so much literature uh, about them. So we need to explore new phases of those wine grapes. Uh, in a small time, we did fermentations in wood, in different kind of woods, in steel, in concrete, in cement, and then in jar, in glass. And this was the period that we used to to wait until opening our new project, our project. Uh, We spent about five years, six years, and in 2013, after two years um, between 2011 and 2013, I left PIO to join an experience in Temuda di Trinoro with Andrea Franchetti. Then I came back and we started at Bianova. At that that time, we we had all the crews, um, not so much as today. Now we have about seven crews. And we are improving other small vineyards and small parcels, and at the same time we uh, realized that we had the right experience to to you know to manage different kind of natural fermentation. The period that we spent in the social cellar was to be more confident with a Making right wines, I use this word, right, right wines, carrot wines, linear wines, making a different kind of natural agriculture in the vineyards, and at the same time to ferment grapes and age the wines with no ads. And that's all. That's all from you know, as a chronicle, so a history, a straight history of Abianova. We started in 2013 but we started before in 1981 when we were a child we were a child
1: thank you so much pierluca um i just want to recommend a book just to the audience really quickly if anyone wants to read a bit more um on the method that pierluca really kind of has based a lot of his agricultural um, practices off of it's called the one star revolution and it's he actually Pierluca recommended it to me and it's just a fantastic book and it really opens up your eyes to so many things um so Pierluca I know you started with your dad like as a child in the vineyard but when did you really discover that you know your your calling in life was to be in wine that this is what you wanted to do
2: I yeah probably there were two times in my life the first time was in 1997 when um, a small producer from a small town near Pio brought me a bottle of Chesanese of 1981. Uh, Until that time, I thought that Chesanese could not be a wine for long aging. And for some point of view, this is what I think right now. But sometimes you could find beautiful gems. And I mean, with beautiful gems, I mean beautiful small parcels, which could give you... Really long aging wine. And at the same time, the other, the other, yeah, the other important things to discover that my life was called to be in wine is was when I in two thousand and two I met Alessandro Masnaghetti. Uh, I was involved in wine. I was um, I had all my degrees with by the Associazione Italiana Sommelier as a sommelier, uh, as a taster. But reading for the first time his guide in 2002 was a kind of Eureka for me because he wrote in a different way about wine and using words that could express something more than a. Straight description of the flavors, and when I met him, I found that something could be done also in this place. As I said, I was a taster. I tasted a lot of beautiful wines from all over Italy, from France. Uh, I was really enthusiastic about, you know, the great name that we have in Italy. But I didn't think the time that me in that small and common place with this kind of wine grapes coup could do you know good wines fine wines and yeah i remember this two times uh, just two times i discovered that i could be involved in wine
1: thank you Priluka. now i kind of have a question that ties into Then my next question I had planned to ask you, Um, but you were talking about how, you know, you weren't really thinking that Chazanese could be a grape to age for a long time, but with, you know, really special, you know, individualistic parcels of land um, that can produce special wines, this can happen. Now I know with the small different um, single vineyards that you work with, you do have a different variety of soil types now, is there some that you think are better than others and have longer potential for aging? Um, I know they're all so very different, but what is your take on that?
2: Oh well, Chesanese, yeah, I need, need a little, a little, a re- little hat about Chesanese and Passerina and about the soil, the general soil that we have. We are on a volcanic soil, and in this kind of soil, the fruits to be eaten, are really good. But when you have to face yourself with fruits that have to be, has to be fermented, uh, they have to be fermented, sorry. Um, now, there's a, a problem, because the pH and acidity in a volcanic soil, you know, dance too much. Uh, in particular, before 15 days, 20 days before harvesting. And when you compare your wines on a volcanic soil with the great wines all over the world, you see that you need acidity, you need strong tendons sometimes, and at the same time you need low pH. Well, I And this is good for long aging. So we try to, all over the year, to... Do something into the soil in a natural way just to give all those wine grapes that we have the strength to be aged and not so sweet. Because another objective of the wines from a volcanic soil is that the flavors in the mouth uh, is something. Too much sweet. At the same time, when you work with parcels, so when you work work with crews, you realize that even if you are in a general volcanic soil, not every place is similar to the other. And we started in 1995, and we started in 2005, as I said before, um, to ferment... Grapes from old vineyards from all over the town of Pijo. And in five years, we realized that in some places, when in particular there are more rocks into the soil with the volcanic clay that we have, the wines could have more chances to be, you know, similar to the great wines of the world that we know, uh, a big potential of aging, and at the same time, a sweetness which is not sweet. Uh, a sweetness which is, you know, to be soft, kind of softness in the mouth with the violet flavors all around your nose. And this was the skeleton of our point of view on the age Chesanese. and uh, of the age chesanase. And that's why we used to ferment separately all the parcels, and all the parcels we have have more or less potential to be aged um, consider that also we used to pick some other small parcels into the cruise that we have because we you know we realized that in every single parcel we have some plans more uh, you know more yeah they were better for this idea of cruise as a Long-aged Cesanese or Passerina. At the same time, the oldest wine grapes that we have, so the ones that were planted here in the Roman, during the Roman Empire and the medieval ages, they also have a big potential, but only when they are blended into oh, the classic bottle of Cesanese del Piglio or Pasadena del fusinate And we rea- realized that the picture of the old vineyards that we have and all the old vineyards that are in Piglio are a kind of picture of the best wine you can do from these places. So the right percentage of plants into the vineyards it is the right percentage of the wine into a bottle. Um, usually 85, 80% of the main wine grapes, so Cesanese or Pasadena and the rest, of the other ancient, oldest wine grapes, that helps, that helps. Sorry, the um, Passerina to be great in an aging point of view.
1: Thank you, Pierluca. Um Now I know you mostly work with Chesonezi da Dafile, but you do have a little bit of Chizenese Nostrano on your parcel, single vineyard Berlame crew. Um, that you use to make your rosé. Now, maybe can you talk a little bit about the types of wines that come from a sandy soil rather than the rest being all volcanic-based? And are you considering um, planting more Cezanese in Ostrano? It's not really seen very much, um, and it's very much kind of like a lightly resurrected grape.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Berlame, Berlame cru. Uh, I planted Berlame crew, uh, crew in 2002 for this reason. Because uh, this parcel, this place in Pio, is one of the few ones with no volcanic soil. It's a sandy beach, kind of beach soil. And by the imperial Nerva was called the lake. <laughs> uh, that that's why the sandy soil not volcanic soil there. And me and my father, both this place in 2000 and 2002, I started planting those two hectares. And at the same time, we rediscovered what is called here Cesanese Nostrano. As I said before, was one of the additive wine grapes to the Cesanese da File. The Cesanese Nostrano is one of the father of the Sangiovese. It's also called in Ampelography Maiolica. And you can also find other plants south of market That's the reason is that just like the Passerina, the Cesanese Nostrano was uh, so the Maiolica was planted by the popes. So we are talking about not the Roman Imperial but the medieval ages. And they used to plant Passerina in Cesanese Nostrano there in south of Marche on that kind of clay, which is similar to the central Italy clay, just like in Umbria and Tuscany. And they realized that Cesanese could not work in that kind of clay. But the Cesanese Nostrano is really interesting because it gives you it gives you, gives to the wine more acidity, more power, and his tendons are really similar to the Sangiovese. And when you as I said before, when when you when you make a picture of an old vineyard in Pio, you find a lot of plants in that fifteen percent of Cesanese Nostrano. When we replanted the Cesanese Nostrano, we realized we we, we really we really really, really like the, the rose wines all over the world. And our first aim was to make a good rose. And our first Chesanese, so our first bottle was a was a good was a rose. And after some experiments, we realized that half percent of Chesanese Fila and half percent of Cesanese Nostrano could be the, the right blend, a modern blend, of making a rose with not sweeten not so sweetness but at the same time with a growth tendon to you know to be similar to a white and at the same time to a light bread about your question of planting new vineyards. Yes, we are planting now other three hectares in two years and five hectares and a half in so total in six year, years and we are focused on different places. If we follow what I was talking about before, the fact that the quantity of potassium in in a volcanic clay soil, it's a kind of problem to make long-aging wine or not-so-sweet wines. Uh, We are focusing on the mountains that we have on our shoulder. The main mountain is the Monte Scalambra, which is the first mountain before the Apennines, so before the border with the uh, with the Abruzzo region. And we are focusing on some places on the mountain on 100 1,000 meters high of altitude, with a lot of rocks inside, just because we want to see what is the reaction of the plant at the same time of the grape, so the pH and acidity, on a different kind of soil with volcanic, with volcano soil inside? So the the answer is yes, we are, I mean, you know, continuous. We, 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 yeah, we, we, we always think about plant new vineyards because we just want to see all the phases of Cezanese in places where they didn't used to plant until, you know, 20 or 30 year before, years before.
1: Thank you, Perluca. Now, when I was there in November, um, it was very humid and a little bit unusual. Like you were telling me the past few years have been getting warmer with kind of strange vegetation kind of growing up. How do you feel about climate change and like the recent vintage variations in general? Um, And how do they impact your decision as a winemaker in both the winery and the vineyard and what can consumers expect?
2: Oh, I remember that we really talk a lot about the climate change. The climate change is a fact. It's a, you know, global fact. But as we said in November, every small region has its consequences on the climate, for, by the climate change. So in our place you now, in south of Lazio, the consequences of climate change are quite different from what is happening now in Piedmont or in Veneto or in Emilia Romagna. What happened here in the last in the last twenty years? Um, yes, a lot of humidity, more than before. Uh, the same. Temperature differences between night and day, but at the same time, all temperature increases of about five, six, seven degrees. So, if twenty years ago you have during the summer thirteen during the night and thirty-three maximum during the day, now you have the same difference. So, twenty but nineteen. 20 and humid during the night and 40 during the day. At the same time, wet, wet, wet. And we have all the summers uh, with uh, one or two hours of rain in the afternoon. and um, This is not a problem for the, for the plants, for the diseases, for the meal use. It's not a problem for us. And um, probably I can explain you why it's not a problem for us. The problem is that the soil reacts in a different way to the wet. Um, I think that we found a solution of the consequences of climate change uh, changes on our place. We used to take care of more of the soil than before with some practices that we experimented in the last 5-10 years at first to use green manure more than usual manure for the soil to let the soil be less wet than the weather upside and at the same time we started making our own biofertilizers with um, some micro-elements fermented with milk. So lactic fermentation with no ads, just like you found in uh, all the products you, you can find on the market. And at the same time, we used to respect the plant more than before. So during the pruning, to prune less than before, to leave the green during the season more free than before. And this, this kind of approach helped us. We are looking at how the plants are reacting now to what we are doing on them. And this was what we did to face the kind of climate change we have In our place. And about the consumer and and about how how our wines, how Cesanese are changing into the glass. I can say that the first big difference in contemporary fermented Cesanese is the high degree of alcohol. If you are not acting on the plants in a natural but conscious way so the danger is to make um, wine of 15 16 17 degrees alcohol it's so it's so easy to do that if you don't take care of the plants in the right way and I mean I don't want to make 13 or 30. An half degree alcohol wine, just because the market requires it for me, but because I don't like those kind of wines, because they are not balanced. They are not balanced because the plants are not balanced in facing the the climate change. And what is in our bottle now after this climate change? Not the the same wine. The wine are the wines are the wines are you know. They show they show themselves more than in the past. They show more themselves. And you can fill them ready before. Yeah. yeah. More ready than before. More ready than before. Ready to drink. So that's why it's more difficult now to find the right plans to do a long-aged wine. It's more difficult. But if you have some you know some theories to apply different kind of theories to apply on our plants, and I mean, I mean, natural, natural, um, natural theories about agriculture. You can face the climate change, change at first to protect the plants, and then the consequences is that the wine could express itself. The same way, it's different from 10, twenty years. 20 years ago, but it's expressive and this is the most important thing. I think that the customers and the consumers all all over the world want to feel mm, different kind of expressions of the wines because wine has to tell them something which is global but comes from a small window from a small place, just like the place where we
1: live. Thank you, Pierluca. Um, I mean, that is right to say because, for example, I have the crews in my market that are only a couple of years old and they're already um, released and now getting into the next vintage, which is unheard of in most other areas for a crew to be released two years after it was picked. Um, like, Where do you see a Bianova going in, say, five years in terms of styles um, and volumes produced?
2: Well about the styles I don't know um, about the Chiholse style, I hold oh, the Chiholse style. I think that we started a good path of you know looking at this wine grape about five, six years ago, and probably uh, we are going to go on on this path because we like it the probably the last the last thing though. I think one of the best things that we made three, four years ago was the entry level wine. And it was really hard for us to make this kind of wine because it's a blend of old crews picked before the the right the right time for for the harvest is the sense of vandalismi. And sensa vandalismi you know, show, show, showed us the, um, another, another path to follow for the daily wines. And is um, you know, in line with the tradition of these places. Probably in five years after those first years where we tried to discover the skeleton of the wine grapes that we, we work with, uh, and that's why we started with Rosato, because really, is a skeleton of the wine grape we work with. Uh, probably, after this, the same job made on the passerina. We are going to we are going to express more the 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 the, the, the complexity which lives inside the passerina, making more skin contact warm wines on this wine grape. I mean, not orange wine. I mean, more contact. And it depends on the vintages. So this is what I see in the next five years. So more crews, more crews, more crews from Rosado. And at the same time, more skin contact white wines. Because now we have the experience to, to do that. I really disagree with people who at the first vintage Want to make orange wine just because it's a uh, skin contact uh, and it's orange? It's a uh, kind of you know mixed between a white and a red. I don't like this philosophy. I really like to do an expressive wine, and I think that Barbaresco needs more skin contact. Uh, if you want to express uh, it's at a, in in a better at a better stage. At the same time, as I said before, I look at I look at Labianova as, as a winery. Yeah, I'm sure with more parcels, with more uncommon place to plant. So on the mountain, on the rocks, just because now the climate change requires this. And at the same time, I just would like to feel, and probably this is uncommon for this modern drinkable wine. Era, I just want more, you know, more muscles on the wines. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the old-fashioned way of making wine in the '90s. Also for Chesanese. I would like to find a way of dynamic, dynamic wines, even if they are more matetic. So there's more with more with more things inside. So they, has to be, they have to be drinkable, but at the same time, powerful. Uh, kind of contemporary way of looking at the powerful wine. And then about, about you know an agronomy point of view, it's what we started about one year and a half ago. Um, as you said, we used to mix a lot of, of agricultures together, and it's a pathway that we are following. So we have no receipts. We have no sips. We studied a lot and experimented a lot of different kind of agricultures and mixed them together all over the years. But from all those theories, we realized that there was one thing that we didn't do: to work also with animals as a helpful helpful things to understand better better the link between soil and the sky. And if you read, uh, you know, a lot of manuals, contemporary manuals, but also the classical manuals from the the Greek period to the medieval ages to renaissance era, you, you will see that there is no agriculture we, without animals and uh, we realized starting, starting that what you can you know what you can see from from chickens or ships or cows uh, free into the vineyards or uh, asking them help for your your job, it's a vision of what is happening into the soil and into the plants, similar to you, so similar to human being. And I think that in five years we you will find a lot of animals inside the vineyards and our oh, aisles, more aisles of vineyards that we have. And I'm really proud of this idea. I'm really excited to 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 see how how our our job will change with all this helpful being with us working with us.
1: Thank you Priluka. Um so which wine that you produce are you most proud of and why?
2: Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a hard question. It's a hard question. My answer is uh, is temporary. In this period, I realized that the San Giovanni crew, Gru- which is the, the oldest one, the oldest vineyard that we have, is a nine-years-old vineyard, probably is the one where I make the wine I'm most proud of. Because um, everything at first, from an agriculture point of view, Everything we did on this vineyard uh, gave us a lot of ex- exceptional results <clears throat> in terms of plants, and I'm talking about old plants. So when you talk about old plants, you talk about something something where you can't face without you know w- 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 without lightness. And I saw this vineyard react from a lot of things that we did in we did in it, and at the same time, I'm really proud of the fact that the you know the, the soul of the wine from San Giovanni Crü is always the same. I mean the soul, and I'm really proud of the fact that. In, from this point of view, nature—if we, we can talk about nature—is not nature because we are talking about agriculture, and agriculture is half nature and half human. But I'm, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that nature answers to what you are doing on it, but at the same time, um, nature is the chief and you find it into the wines i mean this uh, remind reminds me of a wine made by andrea franchetti on mount etna is one of his contrade one of his crew it's called rampante franchetti was a man with a really strength was powerful as a person and powerful into the vineyards also, as a vineyardist also. And I realized then, in Tenuta di Trinoro, or in Passo Picharo, a lot of wines, um, a lot of wines was really built on his personality. But when I tasted, and when I tasted Contrada Rampante, I found that there was a really, uh, really strength, really fight, between the man and the old vineyard there And at least least if you find his influence, so the influence of the man on the vineyard and on the wine, at the end, the wine is more powerful than the the man. And he was proud of of this wine. He was proud of this wine because uh, the the vineyard reacted to him as a human being
1: Thank you for mentioning that, Priluka. I was actually going to say um, the easy that Franchetti took to Sicilia was from um, your son, San Giovanni Vineyard, um, if that's correct.
2: Yeah, yes. Franchetti, Franchetti was um, was one of my father's friends, and uh, his father used to, used to come a lot of time in Pio during the, you know, after the first world war, uh he used to used to go to the mountains that we have on our shoulder, and used to bring with him in Rome uh bottles of Cesanese. Franchetti planted his first Cesanese vineyard in Tenuta di Trinoro in nineteen ninety-five. And in ni- between nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety four he came about 15 times per summer to select the plants. He selected this beautiful, sele- beautiful muscle selection of plants from San Giovanni Vineyard and from other two small vineyards in Piglio and Anagni. Uh, the first one is owned by another, I think one of the best winemakers that we have in Piglio um, is Maria Ernesta Berucci. And she is making beautiful wines. Um, the other, the other vineyard is owned by an historical producer. His name is Antonello Colletti Conti. Um, is a a kind of old style producer, producer, but with difference, different Cesanese from the wines that Avianova or Maria make. But you will feel in that wine a lot of intention. So. Frank Dia came here to, to plant Chasanese first at Intermedite Then in he cut the vineyard in 2001, and he made three vintages of this beautiful wine called Cincinnato, in 97, 91, 2001, and then planted, planted Chasanese on Mount Etna. And, um, you know, it's reasonable. It's reasonable because Mount Etna is sandy volcanic soil. It's a high altitude. A lot of rocks, volcanic rocks. And now the, this vineyard uh, is used to make uh, the Franchetti, which is uh, a blend of Cesarezza da File, 90% and 10% of Petit And yeah, the selection was made here in Pio.
1: Thank you. I figured that our Via community would find that interesting as we were just there in October on Mount Etna visiting Franchetti's winery. Um, so, Pierluca, like, uh, I think I might already know the answer to this, but do consumer trends and opinions hold any place of value to you um, with the direction that you take with the Biennova?
2: Um I mean, uh, probably not the trends, because if I translate trends in Italian, trend means something which is followed without thinking. So if, trend, if trends mean that, no, I don't follow trends. At the same time, I follow a lot of opinions from all over the world. I really like people' opinions. And opinions about my wines, opinions about what we are doing into the vineyard. Um, if people, if people found, find something which is not good or strange about, for example, this mixture of different kinds of agricultures that we do, I really listen to them. Um, it happens a lot of times. So opinions have a great place of value now also in our directions but if I have to to give you an example about the trends now in Italy or in other places in the world there's a trend of drinkable wines funky drinkable wines well this has not place of value in our point of view because we We only have this vision to make modern wines with a tool of tradition. And I'm sure that this world and the world of wine, all the wine enthusiasts all over the world, could reserve a place for us, a small place. We need a small place. But if this small place is a place where, on one hand, me and my cousin, who are doing this kind of job of transmit values, and at the same time, we have, on the other end people who are really thirsty of values from the wine. Now it's perfect. At that time, it's perfect. So we know that we probably will not be the winery of thousand and thousand and hundred thousand bottles so fashionable wines but at the same times we know that our path to that we are following to make wine which transmits values it's a good things for people enthusiasts and people who people who want to find into the wine Something more than a alcohol beverage. Um, this is our direction. Direction, and as you know, when we started, we decided to share our experience in you know in make this kind of wine in modern times to share this experience all over the world, and we realized that in every place. Uh, in every city, there there that is people who answer to our questions that we put into our bottles, and that's all. It's our small vision of the world, it, and it's small because it comes from a small place with a long tradition. It's just like when you when you read books from Different authors from different places is the same thing. It's to transmit values, and it's an aesthetic question. This is our point of view, and that's why we, you know, we don't follow too much of the trends, but we follow too much opinions of people.
1: Thank you, Preluca. I love that something more than um, beverage alcohol. I mean, you're not a wine for everyone, but you know, you're truly something special and. Um, I think it really shows. Hopefully, if there's anyone in the audience that has not had the chance to try Bianova, they're um, excited to go out and find some now. Um, Perluca, can you share with us briefly your olive oil project um, that you've been working on and that's finally ready for sale?
2: Oh, it's a... a, The olive oil project is an old project. Um, um, If I could have a step behind... One of your first question, probably in the next five years, I will see a bianova, not only with a lot of animals, but also with other different cultures. Olive oil is the first, but then we have projects of making fermented herbs, and we experiment this kind of project started about six years, seven years ago. We have here a long tradition of herbs from from the monasteries that we have, and after tasting kombucha, we really like kombucha. We realized that with this kind of herbs that we have, we could match ourselves with making, fermenting stuff from them. Now it's an experiment, but the olive oil is a is a standard tune for our places. And consider that we started. Making, I started before Abbianova. I started making um crusoe of olive oil between 2000 and 2005. Uh, we uh, own about five crews of olive oil with different varieties. Uh, the, you know, the main one is called Marrone, which is the Itrana, it's probably the most common in Lazio. It's a beautiful variety and then we have another good variety which is the rosciola which is a delicate extra virgin olive oil in opposite to the to the itrana which is really strong flavor with a a lot of green flavor and at the same time we have the usual italian central central italy um, varieties just like um, leccino or um, yeah, also the Ascolana we have here. But our project is to, the main aim of our project is to make crews of olive oil, just like, just like, that, just like we, we, we the same as we do in in our wines. When I made that in that five years, between 2000 and 2005, I found a lot of differences between one another person. And I thought my cousin about, you know, six years ago, when we we realized that our process in making good wines is not complete, but is in a good stage, we need to start also the olive oil, uh, the olive oil project. And I just want to discover other things making oil. Because you know the classical, the classical tasting of the extra virgin olive oil is to feel freshness, is to is to feel the green balance. I just want to discover a new path from this point of view. I just want to do. Uh, I just want to 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 find what could be an oil with more oxidation. With a small fermentation, which is not good from a standard tasting, I just want to see what, what what could happen because it was a tradition here to make oil olive oil also that way that way, and um, that's why it's it's an, another time a kind of rediscover a tradition and see if this tradition with the aesthetic values could be shared with other people all over the world and that's all and we are starting now restarting now with the olive oil in with our 2021 harvest and we're gonna see we're gonna see what could happen next years
1: thank you so much Pierluca. luca i'm gonna give the mic over to joy now as i'm just about running out of time here
0: ciao and uh yeah happy birthday stevie <laughs> all right happy birthday stevie ciao listen to the italian wine podcast wherever you get your podcasts